1: After Solomon, his heir, uh, got some advice. It was bad advice. He decided he was going to raise taxes, and uh, it created a split in the nation. There were the ten tribes in the north that split off. They became known as Israel, and their capital was Samaria, the city of Samaria. And then the two tribes in the south became known as Judah, and their capital was in Jerusalem.
0: That's Pastor Leighton Sheely, and this is a broadcast called Study Verse by Verse, He continues in the book of John, but we're going to get a bit of background today as we uh, launch into our broadcast. Thanks for joining us on this Thursday. I'm Mike Trout. If you'd like an update on exactly what's happening service-wise at Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, please go to their website at highlands.us, and I'll talk a bit more about that when we get down to the end of the broadcast. Here's Pastor Layton.
1: Well, in 722 B.C., about seven centuries before Jesus came uh, to earth, the Assyrians invaded the northern ten tribes. They defeated the uh, Israelites, and they took them away into captivity. And they uh, pop- repopulated uh, much of the, of the land with uh, people that came from other places. That story is told to us in Second Kings chapter 17. Now, the people, the Jewish people that remained, intermarried with those that uh, were coming into the region, and that was against God's word. You Remember that God had told the Jewish people they weren't to intermarry with the others because God was, didn't want the influences of the pagan nations around His people to influence their religion and, and so forth. But the people that were left in Samaria, the Jewish people, intermarried with others. Now, even to this day, um, intermarriage between Jewish and non-Jewish people in a Jewish setting is not acceptable. For instance, if a a son or a daughter of a Jewish Orthodox home decides they're going to marry a Gentile, basically Gentiles are anybody who's not Jewish, they're going to marry somebody who's not Jewish, then that family has a funeral for that son or daughter. It's as though they're cut off, they've lost all of their inheritance, they've lost all of their rights, uh, they are as good as dead. So these people... The Jews that lived in the Samaritan region, they were carried off, and they lost their identity. Those that were left uh, intermarried, and uh, the, ten that were carried, the ten tribes that were carried off were known as the ten lost tribes. So if you've heard that phrase, that's what it's referring to. Well, in the course of time, there was an invasion of the south, and the inhabitants of Judah were also carried off into captivity into Babylon, However, they retained their identity, and eventually they were returned to the land uh, under the auspices with the permission and support of the Persian king in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, when the uh, Jewish people in Samaria heard that the Jews that were in exile were coming back to rebuild the temple, they were excited, and they couldn't wait to be a part of it. And so when they arrived, they they went over to Jerusalem and they said, "'Hey, let us help you rebuild the temple.'" And the Jewish people that were there said, no, you've intermarried, you've lost your rights, you're no longer Jewish people, you shouldn't be around the temple, we'll have no part of you, go away. And uh, this created a great offense to the Samaritans. It was complicated further by the fact that Manasseh, uh, who was a renegade Jew, married a daughter of the Samaritan Sanballat, and then went across to Mount Gerizim and created a temple that was in competition with the temple in Jerusalem. That all happened around 450 B.C. So it goes way back to this competition. In about 129 B.C., there was a a Jewish leader and general named John Hyrcanus who led an attack against Syria and destroyed the temple on Mount Gerizim. That was only a little more than a century before uh, Jesus walked the earth. And you know how feuds are in the Middle East, don't you? They're carried from generation to generation. This feud had gone on for over 400 years. Now, there was a, another way that Jesus broke down the barriers as well, and that was in talking with a woman, a Samaritan woman. You see, rabbis forbade rabbis to greet a woman in public, uh, even if that woman was your own wife or your mother or your daughter. In fact, there was a a subgroup of Pharisees that were called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. And the reason they got that name was if they were walking down the street and they looked up and they saw a woman, they would close their eyes. But they wouldn't stop walking. And so they'd walk off a curb or they'd walk into a building and that's how they became known as the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. You know, and I was there in 1996 Um, we were uh, out with our tour group, and the guide mentioned to me, he said, notice that there's a religious Jewish person coming towards us on the street. When he gets to about 20, 25 feet, he's going to look up, he's going to look down, he's going to cross the street, and he's going to to pass us on the other side. And that's exactly what happened. That religious Jewish person didn't even want to be within 20 feet of a, a woman on the street. So for a rabbi to speak with a woman... That would end his reputation, and particularly this woman with her, with her character. So this is really a truly amazing story, because here we have God, tired and exhausted, and we have the holiest of holy sitting down and initiating a conversation with one of the least holy. Truly, here is God so loving the world, not only in theory, but also in action. Will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now note that this conversation follows the same pattern as the conversation with Nicodemus. Jesus makes a statement. The statement is misunderstood. Jesus restates the statement in a more vivid way. The statement is still misunderstood. And then Jesus compels the person that he's speaking with to discover the truth for themselves. This was Jesus' usual way of teaching, and it was a rabbinic way of teaching. Just as Nicodemus did, this woman took the words of Jesus literally. Remember Nicodemus saying, Hmm, I'm supposed to how am I supposed to get back inside my mom's womb? You remember that? Well, this woman was thinking literally as well. Now, literally the word's living water to a Jewish person was a reference to a running stream. And it was distinct from a cistern or a storage tank. And so what Jesus was talking about was a running running stream, running water. And and so she was kind of thinking, well, wait a minute. I've grown up in this area. I, I don't know of any streams around this place. We, There's wells. Yeah, we got, we've got to go to wells. She was thinking literally. But Jesus was thinking spiritually. You see, the Jewish people had another way of using the concept of water or running water. When they described a person's thirst for God, they described it as a thirst of the soul. And any person that was raised with uh, religious thought, spiritual insight, would have recognized what Jesus was talking about. The rabbis oftentimes talked about the living water as talking about the law of God or the wisdom of God or, or the Holy Spirit. The, the Old Testament is filled with these pictures that describe this, the soul being thirsty, and that thirst can only be quenched with a living water that is a gift from God. The psalmist, for instance, in Psalm 42 one said, my soul is thirsts for the living God. And through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 44, God promised, I will pour water on the thirsty land. Disobedient Israel was guilty of having foolishly forsaken God, who is the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns or storage tanks, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Instead of coming to God for that continuous flow, they decided I, we want to make ourselves independent of God. We're just going to have storage tanks. And their storage tanks were worthless because they were, they were broken. They couldn't even hold any water. Psalm 36.9 talks about God being the source of our salvation. He alone is the fountain of life. And Isaiah 12.3 talks about those who are redeemed joyously drawing water from the springs of salvation, So there was this connection between God, living water, springs, and salvation. But she was missing it because she was thinking literally, not spiritually. She goes on to describe our father Jacob. Now, the Jewish people would have had a, a real problem with that, but one of the Samaritans' claims what they, was that they were also descended from Jacob through Joseph and Ephraim and Manasseh. And so what she was saying is... is Wait a minute, we're descended from the patriarchs. Jacob himself dug this well. Jacob himself gave us this well. Do you think that you're greater than Jacob? Who do you think you are? And Jesus made a startling statement that he would give her living water that would banish her thirst forever. Now, this was nothing short of a messianic claim. He was speaking about the age to come that the Messiah was going to bring in, that was going to usher in. And when Isaiah d- described that age to come, he said, they shall not hunger or thirst. Isaiah chapter 49. The psalmist said, with thee is the fountain of life. Psalm 36, 9. Isaiah 30, chapter 35 said, in the messianic age, the parched ground is to become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. And so when Jesus was speaking about quenching a thirst forever, he was making a claim that he was the Messiah. But the woman still didn't understand. She was still thinking literally. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I'm getting tired of this walk in the heat of the day. Jesus said to her, "Ah, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, i uh, have no husband jesus said to her you were right in saying i have no husband for you've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband what you've said is true the woman said to him sir i perceive that you are a prophet
0: More from Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno as he continues his study in the book of John tomorrow at this same time. I hope you can join us. I'm Mike Trout. This is an outreach of Church of the Highlands. And you'll want to go to the website at highlands.us for a very exciting update on exactly what's happening as far as the service schedules are concerned. The doors are opening quite a bit. Do check it out. Highlands.us. And when you go there, let us know that you listened to the broadcast. Come back tomorrow at this same time when Pastor Layton will once again open the Word of God and study verse by verse. This broadcast is sponsored by Church of the Highlands in San Bruno.